welcome to Reality Bites. I'm Carl French, and today we're talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus. COVID-19 is a new illness that can affect your lungs and airways. Taking up to 14 days for symptoms of coronavirus to appear, they can be similar to the symptoms of cold and flu. I'm speaking to Professor Samuel McConkie, Infectious Disease Specialist, or CSI, University of Medicine and Health Sciences. COVID-19 is caused by a virus called SARS coronavirus 2. Okay. And I think when you say SARS, you mean SARS-1 from 2002 right. and 2003. So it's a different virus, different disease, but obviously they're a bit related. So when they speak of people with underlying conditions, what kind of conditions are they talking about? Obesity, smoking, chronic lung disease, bronchitis, emphysema, any chronic lung disease, and heart failure, cancer, immune suppression. So why has this virus spread so quickly compared to other viruses in our lifespan? Yeah, well, I think it's a new um, virus that we haven't known about in humans up until December uh, 2019. So it is it is something quite new. And um, you're quite right that this is um, completely different from anything that any of us have ever seen before. And it's it's got that combination of a death rate that's high enough to make it into a, a major problem. It seems like, you know, something like one or two percent of people who get it die. But it's also infectious enough that it, it spreads widely through a population, through the world. And, you know, it, it's reasonably infectious and each person typically will infect two or three others with it. It's transmitted in um, three ways that we know about. Okay. One is the droplets that are produced when somebody coughs or sneezes or even maybe sings or shouts or yells um, and if you're within a meter or two uh, of somebody coughing or sneezing or singing or shouting or yelling then then you can catch it from them. So staying more than two meters away is the first thing. And the second thing then is direct transmission, which is where the person who has it, inevitably we all touch our face and mouth and nose and eyes, um, occasionally with our hands. And then if you shake hands with somebody or touch somebody else, uh, then of course they can get the virus and then their hands may touch their face and, and thereby inoculate the virus in, into the face and nose of the second person. So that's direct physical contact, which a lot of us have sort of stopped a bit of that. We're not shaking hands anymore for the last month or two. And then the third way is on surfaces. So particularly hard surfaces like plastic and wood, uh, it seems to be able to live there certainly for a day or two and maybe up five or six days. So we've been cleaning a lot of our hard surfaces quite uh, rigorously in case that I might touch a door handle or a tabletop with my hands and if, if I touched my face and I had it then I could my facial fluids from my eyes or nose or mouth could infect my hands and then my hands could deposit it onto a hard surface and then it could sit there for a day or two and then you might come along and sit down a day later and touch the table with your hands and then end up inevitably touching your face and that's that's called indirect contact. So those are the three main ways that it's transmitted so avoiding all those things can can help us. I've also noticed a lot of people wearing masks incorrectly, uh, people going into supermarkets with disposable rubber gloves, but yet keeping them on, not disposing of them when they leave the supermarket and getting into the car and driving away with those disposable gloves on. 
So at this time, for the last two to three months, a lot of supply chains have been really disrupted for most of the manufacturing and goods in the world, partly because a lot of things, as you know, were made in China. Yeah. And for a couple of months, the Chinese industry was closed down. So there's been disruption of supply chains of almost every item you can imagine. And things like mobile phones and cars and so on aren't being made. And the same is true for gloves and gowns and masks. So it's quite hard to just go out and get all those things at present. So you're quite right. Sometimes people are trying to reuse things that are disposable. There's been different policies around the world. So many of the Asian countries like China, Japan, Hong Kong, Taiwan and Korea made wearing a facial mask more or less mandatory. It was sort of maybe more a kind of sign of social acquiescence or social compliance nice. and showing that through your behavior, you were sort of taking this seriously and on board with the, the whole um, national program to control it. I, I think it was maybe more of a symbolic sort of symbol of cooperation rather than necessarily a, a practical tool for um, controlling COVID-19. The reason I say that is because unfortunately a lot of people who haven't had a lot of training in how to use masks um, don't use them properly. And um, as, as with the gloves, that's, that people, um, even if you have gloves on, as you raise, Carl, you can still touch a surface like a table mm. and then touch your eyes or your mouth or your nose just in the same way as, as you would with your finger. Yeah. And, and then the gloves just become a, a vector to, to transmit the um, COVID-19 or the SARS-2 virus, as it's called, from the tabletop surface up to your eye and you get inoculated. So for all of the personal protective equipment that we use, whether it's gloves or gowns or masks or goggles, there needs to be quite a bit of training in, in how to use it and also um, often supervision and feedback and uh, test fitting and uh, feedback on the adequacy of how people are using it. And a lot of folk who just go out and make one or buy one haven't um, haven't done that training and they don't even realize that it's necessary. I think just by sort of wearing it like a stylish decoration and sign of the times that it somehow helps them. In relation to people's opinion about what we should have done, what we did do, what we didn't do, should we have closed airports, should we allow people in from Italy during the start of this infection in Ireland, what, what are your views on that? It's really easy for sort of the armchair as a philosopher of this world to sort of look back in retrospect and say, oh, sure, we definitely should have done this and we definitely should have done that. And the world looks a lot simpler when you um, have all the facts in front of you and you've got the benefit of, uh, you know, two or three or five weeks or months afterwards to look back and see the consequences of one's actions. Um, that's, it reminds me a little bit of, do you ever see these people who sit down trying to do the complex crossword yeah. or even the simplex crossword in the newspaper after somebody already has filled in the answers and you can kind of look at the answers and you can sort of say, oh, I can see how that should have worked. I can see I can understand mm. how that uh, that answer is obviously correct for these following reasons. But that doesn't mean that the same person could have sat down with a blank crossword and filled in the answers. So I, I, I find people who go around retrospectively saying we should have done this, who weren't actually saying the same thing beforehand, are particularly useless members of our community. How long do you think this will actually go on? Months, weeks? Well, that's that's a very good uh, question, Carl. How long? How long will it last? Um, is, is the question. First of all, we don't know. Number two, nobody knows. Number three, the experience we have from other countries may give us some inkling of the answer. 
and in particularly in China, the um, uh, interventions in Wuhan and Dubai started on the 23rd of January yeah. 2020, and they were released on about the 25th of March. So in Wuhan in China, they managed to control this thing in two months and two days. So that's that's uh, and Wuhan's now back up running for business. They're, they're you know they're making PPE. The factories are running. They're selling us loads of gloves and gowns and masks and everything. And the people are back in the shopping centres and supermarkets and getting out again to to do the things they want to do. So the Chinese experience was um, two months and two days. Question is how how will our experience in Ireland compare to what happened in Wuhan? And we didn't have as much disease yet, and hopefully won't have as much disease as we had in Wuhan. So we've had a milder outbreak because we knew it was coming and we were able to intervene early. But on the other hand, we also we don't have kind of a an authoritarian uh, one-party state that dictates to us what we can do and what we can't do. Right. Uh, we're a much more open, liberal, democratic country, I'm happy to tell you. Um, so our kind of command and control environment is much less stringent than that in China. So maybe our restrictions aren't quite as thorough or not as well adhered to. Uh, there may be cultural differences. The, the Chinese already had a whole national plan in place for what happens if SARS came back or something similar. They, they were sitting there with a plan on the shelf ready to roll it out, and all the details were, were worked out in detail um, a few years ago b- b- before this thing arrived. So they, they had a detailed plan. Now, of course, we had, a, we had the time from the 1st of January up until March to, to make a plan because we could see it coming from China, uh, but not everyone fully realized how big it would hit. There was only a handful of people actually realised that this was going to be a big deal. They thought, oh, no, this isn't the other side of the world. It wasn't until it hit Italy that a lot of Irish people realised that this was quite a big issue. Mm. Um, so I think the best that's the best I can answer. And then, unfortunately, it probably will come back. Uh, and But I hope not. This idea of a second wave, I find, is a wrong metaphor. I hope it's a second ripple. So I hope the second time and the third and fourth and fifth and tenth time it comes, we've learned how to identify quickly how to do thorough isolation, contact tracing, and control of wherever it arrives, and and be able to uh, keep it uh, controlled. So if there's a ripple, which hopefully not, are we in a better place? Are we more prepared if it did come back in a ripple format? And the other thing I want to ask you as well is, there is a myth out there. I've read it, I've seen it, I've heard it, that we cannot get reinfected. Is that true? Just because you've got antibodies or got some immune response to a pathogen doesn't mean you are immune. And with other coronaviruses, there are seven other coronaviruses that we know about. There, the immunity is temporary and partial. Okay. It's not lifelong. Okay. Like, you know, chicken pox and measles, once you get it, once you never get it again. So th- th- this is a different type of thing that the immunity is just partial and just uh, temporary. Okay. So unfortunately, there have been instances where people have gotten it again. How common that is, I don't know. And how temporary is immunity, we don't know. How partial is immunity, I don't know. But uh, certainly just because you've got antibodies or just because you've had it once doesn't really definitely protect you. That would be false thinking. On the line, we have Lisa, who's a community nurse. Coronavirus is it's everywhere we're being Mm -hmm. kept inside we can't go out over 70 year old etc can't do this can't do that in your area of being a community nurse how how has it changed what happens in in what you do every day interactions have remained the same we um we're acutely aware that it is out there but 
unless somebody displays signs and symptoms, we have to treat them like we normally would. If and when they are diagnosed, then obviously safety procedures come into place and infection control is paramount, in which case, you know, extra equipment is used, personal protective equipment, like eye shields and obviously masks. But at the moment, we're just carrying on as normal. There's other things as well that I didn't know about that people who are more susceptible to catching the coronavirus is not just people who are old. We've seen some that people who are younger. Also, I know of other people who are diabetics and they are more vulnerable as well. Do, do you know why that is? Or? Um, the diabetics, not so much, but people um, who have cardiac problems, people who um, have had um, cancer treatments. So basically anyone whose immune system is compromised. So it, it would be um, any type of breathing, emphysemia, um, COPD, anything that would compromise the normal immune system, you are more susceptible to pick up COVID-19. But do you think as a whole, more so in the UK, that it's a lot too late? It appears to be. I mean, I don't think we'll ever really know, will we? As far as I'm aware, they have um, these testing kits, but they need certain chemicals to to allow them to work effectively. And some of the chemicals are in stock and other chemicals aren't, which means that we have an awful lot of NHS frontline workers that are, are ready to be tested. But unfortunately, the equipment is not there or the chemicals are not there. Being a medical professional, which you are, uh, what would you say to anybody who's listening in? What's, what should they do? What shouldn't they do? With regards to COVID-19? Yes. Follow the government advice. Stay indoors. Keep yourself to yourself. Um, remember to wash your hands constantly. Um, if you go in and out, if you pick up parcels, you pick up your mail, any interaction you may have with delivery people who come to your home, just remember to wash your hands. I, unfortunately, we as nurses, we have been saying this for a very long time. Basic hand washing is incredibly important. Maybe the one thing that will happen or will come from this will that people will listen and they will realise that this is so important. To get a picture of what's happening outside the island of Ireland, I'm talking to Ashling, who's a teacher who works and lives in Gran Canaria. There are um, over 12,500 people dead now and 130,000 infections confirmed. Our state of emergencies has been extended by another two weeks to the 26th of April. So um, they're very strict over here. The restrictions are really, really tough. There are police and army everywhere and um, they're controlling. You have uh, a valid reason to be out and about. And uh, it gets to the stage where, you know, if they pull you over when you're on your way to the supermarket and they say, where are you going? You're going to the supermarket and they'll make a note of your reg and they'll stop you on the way back and check your receipt. And your um, only essential workers are allowed to um, go to work and you have to have a written um, permission from your employer to um to be to be out of work it's really it's it's really strict we had the the panic buying and um the shops were were, were really empty for a while and then people calmed down and, and saw that there were supermarkets were staying open and you know the, the shelves were being restocked so there was no need to panic so it's really just a case of of keep the calm and ride it out at the moment over here i think you're luckier in one way in a sense that you've got a commanding voice over there to say you can and cannot do this, and that's the way it exactly. is. Exactly. 
in my local supermarket last week or two weeks ago when when uh, when when I went up to get the shopping, there was no chocolate. This is really serious. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, there's no chocolate. What's going on? And, the, uh, and I asked the girl, what's happened to the chocolate supply? And and she said, well, there are a lot of novel of children. It's stuck at home, so the parents give them chocolate to shut oh. them up, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I'm in uh, nor- the north of Gran Canaria in the village called Arucas, which okay. is about 20 minutes from Las Palmas, the capital. Right, I'm okay. well away from tourist areas, and it's, a qu- it's quite a rural area as well, so I'm not in, in any big cities or anything like that. But uh, the tourist areas down the south, like uh, Mas Palomas and Puerto Rico and, and Playa del Inglés, are completely empty. Well, there are, of course, residents live there, but um, holidaymakers, there are no holidaymakers at all. They had about three weeks' notice to, to shut down the hotels and, and uh, flights were arriving on the island really, really frequently to take tourists home. And no hotels are, are open down there. It's all, it's, it's completely, it's just like a ghost town. Normally now, especially Easter, it's still, it would still be classified as high season the hotels and woodland apartments would be absolutely chockered. There's no way you could find any, unless you're really lucky and you can find um, accommodation for Easter because it's normally jammers down there. So there's nothing, I mean, there would be normally nothing available. But it's, you know, we've seen footage on, on local TV of the beaches empty, the promenades empty, no bars, restaurants or anything open. It's all it's just like a ghost town down there and and the sadly an awful lot of people are going to lose their jobs and um, the the economy is going to take a real hit because the canary islands our biggest source of income is of course tourism absolutely so yeah. so it's when this is all over it's it's um it's going to the economy is going to take a big hit because you know so many people are will you know are losing their jobs their livelihoods and, and what about general they're hoping for a quick recovery yeah you uh, general hospital admissions so if you know someone is genuinely ill nothing to do with a virus you know do how are the hospitals coping over there well the hospitals in the canary islands are not as bad as the hospitals in in the mo- the, the worstly hit regions of madrid and barcelona and the basque country so the intensive care units, uh, they are, they're not saturated at the moment. So there's, you know, the emergencies are, of course, you know, happen, accidents happen. And I suppose part of these reasons of, of, of being in quarantine is really to get people off the roads or less possibilities of accidents. It's hospitals are, um, uh, the, of course, they're working normally and they have special, special floors dedicated to persons who, people who have the, the COVID-19 or who are, in isolation and everything, and and but hospitals are are in the Canary Islands at the moment. We have have two hospitals, big hospitals on Gran Canaria. There's another two in Tenerife, and there's one on on each of the smaller islands, and they are coping quite well. But that's for now. Canary Islands is, is pretty okay, thanks as well to the fact that there are no holidaymakers, no flights are coming. Even looking at the the flight radar twenty four app, the airspace completely is completely free. There's not a single plane in, in the the in the Canary Islands. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really mad. Social media reaches far and wide around the world. You know, did you get a, a spate of these uh, rumor WhatsApp messages with the friend of a friend who works for somebody's? Heard oh yeah! Did you get a lot of those over there too? A, a lot of those, a lot of those. Just before the schools were shut down, there was one doing the rounds, 
of a, doc, a doctor who works in Madrid saying how dangerous this is, how serious this is, and everybody got that message. Yeah. And of course, it scared a lot of people. And my my in laws are are elderly and are obviously very very scared. And I suppose you hear messages like this. It really does drive at home how serious this is and you shouldn't be out but it does really scare a lot of people you know like my 17 year old daughter was quite scared when she heard when she, she got those messages as well and she said you know mom is this really is it really this bad and and you try to sort of you know make it make it sound a bit as, as not as bad as 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 it's going to be but um yeah, I refuse to send any of those messages unless it comes from a valid source, unless I've seen it in, in uh, you know, on on an official newspaper or in the in the on the the government. The government have actually said this. I refuse to send it because it's just really contributing to to panic and upsetting people. And it's we've enough on our plates at the moment. We don't need to be scaring others really. So if it's an, if it's something that has actually been confirmed that the government have actually said this, well then I will send it. And the people I I know will you know will will understand the message, but um, but not just send it out to groups because it's 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 a scary time and people don't need to be you know scared and more than they they already are you know it'll go on until we find until we find a vaccine mm. and because at the moment okay the stay-at-home restrictions um, are really for our safety and it's the best thing we can do really is you know stay at home and and just r- and ride it out but the problem is when when the restrictions are lifted the virus will still be there yeah and yeah. once we st- once we start circulating again the virus will start circulating again yeah. and there will be mm, you know of other surges in, in infections so we really need to be careful yeah. and now we're safe enough in the sense that we're we're all at home yeah. and you know we're, no nobody's going to shopping centers nobody's going to shop because it's just not open but when mm, the restrictions are are lifted slow that which they will be lifted slowly and and but when we start going back into supermarkets and shopping malls and all that the virus will still be there people will still be coming from infected areas maybe tourists from Italy or from people from China or whatever and until they find a vaccine that is effective I think there will always be the danger of the vi- of the virus resurging on the flip side there's a more positive angle we can look at during the period of coronavirus. I'm talking to Lorraine, beauty therapist, located in the west of Ireland. Carl, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm uh, doing the best. How are you surviving this coronavirus? What are you up to? What, what's, what's keeping you going? Well, first of all, I just keep saying to myself that I'm still here, or we're still here, you know, so I think, um, and I'm not, not trying to understate the tragedy that's going on with the pandemic but I know if we are still here and we're lucky enough not to have the virus or not to know anybody which I don't where I live I don't know anyone that has the virus or is affected by it so I think because of that um, I have to make the best of it I think I owe it to the world to everybody or everybody around me just to make the best of it and keep going Um, I'm in actually the beauty business which is, of course, um, completely finished at the moment. And not alone that, but I was actually rebuilding 
um, my business and um, obviously the workers had to stop, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, so that's the way that is at the moment, but um, I'm hopeful and in fact I know I'll be getting back out there again and it will be finished and we will rally on. Okay, and, and I saw some things from yourselves and a couple of others in relation to fashion and uh, dressing up and different type of aspects on social media. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think for certain, you know, at this time, you know, we're all out of a routine and um, women, even back in the day in other wars, um, you know, makeup or dressing up was a huge thing in those dreadful times. So I'm just here to try and encourage people and remind people, um, or remind ladies to, yeah, keep on, keep dressing up and um, keeping the makeup up and keeping their skincare skincare going because really we have to keep going we have to keep a routine and everybody feels better every woman feels better when they they do things like that anyway and we have more time so there's no need to neglect ourselves it's not going to help anybody we have to keep the best face forward as they say yeah because i noticed a couple of friends of mine who work from home and would work for quite prominent social media companies every day as if they're going to work, they do the routine of breakfast, shower, dress up as if they're going out the door, yet they're sitting with their headphones on and the laptop. I think that's really important to kind of maintain the routine, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as the saying goes, you know, no matter what happens, you know, get up, dress up and show up. <laughs> and I actually do know a lot of women that... Um, are in business themselves or at home and they just make to sure make sure to do that you know that gives us a sense of normalcy and we we have to do something about it and we we have to make sure that we don't forget all those things completely so in all the bad that's there with people queuing up for toilet paper and silly things that i just didn't i still don't understand now why they do that there must be some good we can get from this is there anything good we can actually grab from this silent time that you know we're at home what good have you seen so far well i have seen that i recognize more you know the wonderful friends i have and i think that we're very lucky that no matter what happens you know, we can phone people, we can Skype people, we can um, learn more on, on social media. Um, I think it definitely is a time for self-reflection because um, there's no question about with the silence and the quietness and the more peace around, you know, we really have to face ourselves. And that probably isn't a bad thing because before this, you know, we've been rushing around, mad busy, chasing work chasing money or chasing whatever so now we really have no choice other than to you know find out more about ourselves maybe rediscover ourselves and maybe after all this we'll just reinvent ourselves do you think that this kind of camaraderie this friendship this this bonding this coming together do you think it'll last much longer so whenever this end of coronavirus or the ability the ability to not go out etc like that do you think that's going to continue on for long or do you think we'll forget or what, what do you think i think we'll have all learned hugely from this you know um to really appreciate um what we do have because like that we have no other choice at the moment only our you know biggest going out is going to the supermarket or um really exploring nature within just two kilometers of, of your house 
and I think there's a real bonding in many ways and I think that in Ireland you know we really are a united country when the chips are down and we are rallying together and you know we're doing the best we can staying in and you know, to protect everybody else that are more vulnerable. I think definitely, I think we'll be a better people in many ways, even though I know, obviously, economically and, you know, money-wise, you know, those things are happening or whatever. But just like back in the recession, people, you know, got back up again. And I think we're just a great little nation and we will do it. You know, we will do it. We will get back up again. We're a strong country. Hopefully, like me, you're washing your hands, you're staying at home, and also thinking of those who are most vulnerable. If you have any questions, queries, or want updates on coronavirus COVID-19, please go to hse.ie. Reality Bites was produced by Carl French. Special thanks to Professor Samuel McConkie, Lisa McCarthy, Ashling Gibson, and Lorraine McLaffey Dedeck. Thank you.